Welcome to Peak City Church. We pray that this message fills you with hope and encourages you wherever you are. Also, follow us on social media at Peak City Co. to stay connected with us. Be blessed. What's up, Peak City? Go ahead and grab a seat. Man, I am so honored to be here today. Uh, my name is Jake, and I have been married to my wife, Trudy, for 15 years. Uh, we have four kids, which if you're wondering, that's a lot of kids, all right? Like, like a lot of kids, okay? And uh, we live in Orange County, California, and even though we live a few states away, we are still massive fans of what God is up to here at Peak City. Uh, every once in a while, I have the distinct privilege of joining other churches and going to see it, and, and I'll hear the stories, and I'll be like, man, this is amazing. And then I'll walk into the lobby, or I'll, I'll meet people, and they'll just be like, going through the motions as if this is just totally normal. This is what happens. And often what happens in churches is that what used to be extraordinary eventually becomes expected. Like the thing that used to blow us away and we're like, oh my gosh, I can't even believe God would do that. I didn't even know that people like that could believe in Jesus. I didn't even know that I could be like this. And then it just becomes normal. Like, oh yeah, that's just what we do. That's just kind of what happens around here. And so if you call Peak City home, I just want you to know that this is truly extraordinary move of God that God is doing inside of this. And I don't want you to miss out on the joy and the true privilege it is to be a part of what, when God is a part of something, it is something you want to be a part of and celebrate in a big way. So Peak City, we're so, so proud of you. I also want to take a moment to honor your lead pastor and his wife, Petey and Brittany. I've known Petey for 20 years. I've known Brittany even longer, probably like 30 years, which is something that old people say. Okay, that's what, that's what happens. And I can honestly tell you that they have been the same people every day that I've ever known them. Their heart for the church and their heart for people that don't yet know Jesus and their heart for your friends that you are inviting and they have yet to meet. I promise you it is true and it is real and you can trust them and you're lucky to follow them. Uh, Petey has been my best friend with the worst ideas, all right? You have one of those friends that like every time you're in a sticky situation, it's always their fault, okay? Uh, one time Petey convinced me that we would go and fly to New York City for a concert and because it's a city that never sleeps, we wouldn't need a hotel room. And so we got on the airplane without any luggage, like psychopaths, okay? Like no one does that. And then we went to the concert and then about 4 a.m., we were in a pizzeria in Times Square, and I was falling asleep, and I realized I should trust Petey less. All right, that's really the moral of that experience, but I'm always glad to be in it because he's just the best, and I promise you, you can trust him. Uh, look, I know that the last few years have been crazy for all of us, all right? This has just been so weird. Like, I can't imagine any of you, if someone asked you, like, what was the best year of your life? You would say, you know what? 2020. You know, maybe it was just the best. It was easy. Nothing was confusing. Nothing was overwhelming. Man, this place has been, the, the world has been crazy. And let me just try to represent to you what we've asked pastors to do. 
Uh, what we did over the last couple of years is ask them to perfectly thread the needle in the midst of a global pandemic none of us had lived through and vaccines and masks, whether we should gather, whether we shouldn't gather. Then we had this hotly contested election. Then there were riots about police brutality and race relations. And then there was inflation and an impending recession. And then all of a sudden pastors were supposed to perfectly navigate every single one of those. It's like we put the hardest possible things in life in one massive Rubik's cube and said, good luck, let's figure this out. And I don't know a single pastor that has done it perfectly, but I do know that in my conversations with Petey, he's done it with integrity and genuine love for you. Like even when he's talking behind your back, when you're not around to hear it, I tell you that he loves you and he believes in you and he believes in this church. And I promise you are, you're very lucky to follow Petey and Brittany. And I just, I'm asking from one friend to the next, if you would just tell them very, very soon, it would mean a lot to me, all right? I'm really, really glad to be here. A few months ago, Petey asked me to come and he just said, pick whatever message you wanna teach. And so I set this one aside thinking it would work pretty well. And honestly, in light of what just happened in your city over the last week, I think it might even be more pertinent. Today's message is called One, One Life. And today we want to go on a journey together to where we remember the, the one life that we have to live. We acknowledge the purpose that's available to us, but then also acknowledge some of the decisions that we're going to have to make if we're going to really live this life to the fullest. And so if you have a Bible or a Bible app, I'd love for you to hang out with me in James chapter four. That's where we're going to be hanging out. You can get a head start there. James chapter four is where we're going to be spending our time. But throughout our time together, I want to have like a group participation project, okay? Uh, we are going to read out loud one particular verse a few times today because this message I want you to not only hear me say it but I want you to hear yourself say it and so that it can sink deep into our heads and into our hearts and so I'm asking all of you in the room let's let's read this together I'm asking you online even if you're watching online even if you're in a coffee shop say it out loud right it's gonna be a whole lot of fun now I also have to confess that I actually don't like when preachers make you say things out loud during a message but that's exactly what I'm gonna ask you to do, okay? So I'm hoping you have a better attitude than me. Here we go, we're gonna do it. It's gonna be great. Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. Let's all read this together. It says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You did it. You sounded great. That didn't hurt, all right? We're gonna have a lot of fun with that. It's gonna be good for us to remember. Uh, today, I wanna start out with the, with the truth, with the reality that I don't think is gonna be very controversial, but we'll, we'll see, okay? Uh, the, the, where I wanna start is saying, we only live once on this earth, okay? I know that there are rumors of a reincarnated round two or three, but as, as followers of Jesus, there's only biblical evidence that this is the one life that you and I get to live. This is our one shot. And even though almost every single one of us would agree to that principle that we have one life and it's limited, uh, you and I are experts at wasting time, aren't we? Like it feels like we invent a new way to waste time every single week. We blow things off all the time. And so I want to list off a few of the most popular wastes of time. And I just want to be clear, I'm not talking at you. 
I'm with you. I do these things as well, okay? Maybe the most popular uh, waste of time right now is social media, right? Social media can be a massive waste of time. I'm talking about Facebook and, and Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok and Nextdoor and YouTube and, and Reddit. And then, and then that app that everyone under the age of 20 is using, but we just haven't found out about yet, okay? All of those social media things. In fact, in Forbes.com, they estimated that the average American spent 1,300 hours on social media in 2021. 1,300 hours in a particular year. Now, some of you hear that and you're like, man, that is a lot of time on social media. And then others of you hear that and think, I think that's low, okay? I'm like way above that. But all of us, I think, have gotten to the end of one of those like mindless zombie scroll sessions where we finally put down the phone and realize, I don't care about anything that I just saw. Social media can be a massive waste of time. Uh, what about fantasy sports, all right? Fantasy sports, I'm sorry, fellas, this one's on me. I hate to bring it up in front of your girl. Fantasy sports can be a lot of fun. It can also be a lot of waste of time. Now, if you've never participated in fantasy sports, let me just give you a, a quick rundown. It's when you gather with your real friends and you draft a fake team in a fake league where you will participate in fake games, you will, you will propose fake trades, and you, someday you might win a fake championship. But you will get in real fights with your real friends over this fake league, and if you don't stop talking about your fake team to your real girlfriend, she's really gonna leave you. Okay, that's really all that fantasy sports is. It's a lot of fun, it can be a waste of time. Uh, what about reality TV? All right, reality TV can be a massive waste of time. Who doesn't love a good season of Survivor or The Masked Singer or, or Love is Blind? I mean, what, what says reality more than marrying someone that you've literally never seen? Okay, that's real. That's what we do. But honestly, the granddaddy of them all has to be the Bachelor franchise. Okay, anybody here watch The Bachelor? It's fine. It's a safe space. It's Okay. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with The Bachelor, here's how it works. One person simultaneously dates 25 people, all to find love because they are here for the right reasons. Okay, that's how that works. And for a franchise that's been on air for so many years, it has produced surprisingly few healthy couples. It's so crazy, I don't know why. Now, now one year, my wife uh, roped me into watching a season of The Bachelor with her. It wasn't my idea, but I, I did it anyway. And I wasn't just going to sit there and watch it. And so I roped in the husbands of my wife's friends, and we created a Bachelor Fantasy League is what we did. We took one waste of time and combined it with another waste of time to make a mega waste of time is what we did. And so we gathered and we watched the premiere. And then at the end of the episode, we drafted our top three girls we thought would make it to the end. And I feel like I've said too much. Right? I feel like I've confessed too much. Like maybe you've lost confidence in me. Maybe now would be a good time to reread our verse together. Okay, Psalm 90 verse 12. Let's all say it out loud together. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I can, I can honestly say a bachelor fantasy league is not a heart of wisdom. Now, if you've read the Bible before, then you may know that the author of that verse right there is a guy named Moses. And if you've read the Old Testament, then you know Moses is like a really big deal. And he lived a lot of life in his one life here on earth. There's almost like multiple lives. He grew up as a kid in a royal palace, in a royal family. 
Then he spent time as a shepherd in the wilderness where no one cared about him at all. Then he became a leader of a nation and he freed them from slavery. Moses saw it all. He experienced it all. And his presumption behind Psalm 90 verse 12 is that if you and I really knew, like specifically, like if we had a number in front of us as to the days that we had left, if every day you, woke, you walked into school, every day you walked into work, and there was just this digit that was one less every single day, you knew how much time you had left, there's no way you would waste it. There's no way you would blow off the important things. There's no way that you would drag your feet. If you and I really knew the number of days that we have left, we would grab life by the lapels. We would try to squeeze every ounce of purpose that it was possibly available to us. And I hope that today can be a wake-up call for those of us that are putting things off and dragging our feet, that this can be a wake-up call to real purpose. So let's start out with this truth. Uh, life is shorter than we think. I don't care who you are. I don't care how old you are. Life is just simply shorter than we think. You remember how as a kid you would have those milestone birthdays that you couldn't wait to turn this particular age because it unlocked a life experience? You couldn't wait to turn six so that you could finally go to school like your older siblings or couldn't wait to be 13 because then you weren't a kid anymore, you're a teenager. Or couldn't wait to be 16 because then you got a driver's license that you could drive around. Or couldn't wait to turn 21 for no particular reason. I don't know why you brought it up. It's kind of weird. But eventually, basically, once we turn 21, we just stop acknowledging every single birthday because it is an annual reminder that we are getting older and life is getting shorter. And in James chapter 4, he acknowledges this human experience. And he tries to wake us up out of the coma that so many of us are in so that we can live a life of purpose. Let's read it together. James chapter 4, verse 13. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes and all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. James here, he's, he's writing to this group of people and it sounds like that week they had just finished like some strategic planning session at work. They were at some executive retreat and they marked out the next five, 10, 15 years of what they were gonna do. And apparently the, the move was in this next year is that they were gonna relocate, they were gonna set up shop and they were just gonna make a ton of money. That was their whole point. And for some of you, you might sit back and think, man, that sounds like a whole lot like what I did this week. Or maybe your family literally plans to relocate for a new job because it's going to make more money. So like, what, what's James' deal? Like, why is he so against planning? Well, planning wasn't the problem. It was the participants in the plan that James had a problem with. See, these people had built their entire life plan around making, making money. That was like the whole point of them doing anything day in and day out. And James is saying, what do, you, what do you mean? You don't even know what tomorrow has to bring. Their plan was entirely predicated on their business acumen, 
around their talents, around their skills. And they decided that because they were in their primary earning years, the focus of their life ought to be making as much money as possible. And there was one particular person that was conspicuously absent from the planning session. It was God. He wasn't involved. He wasn't consulted. He wasn't leading the way. He was completely put on the shelf. They said, yeah, we'll get to like that stuff later. But because I'm in this particular season of life, it is all about what I can accumulate. I just need to ask you a question today, one that I'm, I'm wrestling with as well. So when you, when you consider your future plans, do they involve more comfort or purpose? Like when you think about who you want to be in five years and you're like dreaming about the future. And I'm not talking like one of those type A spreadsheet kind of people. I'm just saying like when you daydream, when your mind just drifts off and you imagine the future, what, what does it look like? I just know, I'm, I'm just going to confess this. My daydreams about the future are always more comfortable, never less. They almost always involve a few more square feet. And I just happen to be driving a newer model of a car and, and there's usually an extra zero at the end of the paycheck and it's, it's just always more, more comfortable. And sometimes I, I look at my daydreams and I realize that's not actually more purpose. I'm not actually contributing anymore and my daydreams never get less, less comfortable. And what James is saying is that if that is the primary lens through which we see the world, we are going to miss out on so much. You see, the assumption behind those comfort kind of decisions is that time is on our side. So there's plenty of time to eventually get around to the important things and the God things. But for now, we can just kind of put those off and make an extra buck, accumulate as much comfort for us and for our family. But eventually we'll get to the things we want to do for God. But first let's lock up some comfort. And James just comes in off the top rope and he says this in verse 14, you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. It says here today, gone tomorrow. According to a World Bank survey, the average American life expectancy is 78.79 years. 78.79 years, that's what we can expect. Now for some of you, you hear that age and you're like, that's ancient. Those people are old, that's so far away, I don't even think about it. For others of us, the older that we get, the younger that that sounds, okay? And then for others of you, it may be a memory. Like you remember turning 78. That was something that happened. You posted all about it on your Facebook page, okay? Not on Snapchat. You've never heard of Snapchat. But on Facebook, you posted all about your 78th birthday. James says, friends, this is way shorter than you think. It's a mist, Maybe you had company come over for Thanksgiving at your apartment uh, this week and, and you just needed it to smell better than it normally does. And so you grabbed one of those air fresheners and you sprayed that sucker down and for a second there was a mist and then it was gone. You ever been to a lake or to a beach and there was that early morning mist lying right above the water and then the sun came up and it got hot and it burned off. The mist was gone. James is saying life is so much shorter than you think. And the point James is making is not to bum us out or to discourage us or get us down. He's just trying to wake us up because the presumption of tomorrow erodes the urgency for today. The longer that we assume that there's always another day, always another week, always another year, we will put off what is so important. 
Reconciliation will be considered, but it'll never be pursued. Generosity will be something that we think about, but never actualize. Encouragement will be withheld. Decisions will be delayed. But did you notice how James wraps up chapter four? He said, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. He didn't call it a mistake. He didn't call it a missed opportunity. He calls it sin. Now, so often when we think about sin, when we think about falling short of the standard that God has set, we often consider sins of commission. These are sins that we commit. It's when we knew where God had drawn the boundary and we just blew through that boundary because A, we didn't think it was a big deal or B, we thought God was holding out on us from a really good time and so we crossed that line and we committed a sin. Many of you might think of the Old Testament, like the Ten Commandments, like murder, lie, steal. All those things are sins we commit. James here is he's highlighting a second category of sin called a sin of omission. It's that thing where we know what God is asking us to do. We know what he wants us to do, and we just simply choose not to do it. Like we, we wanted to apologize to that friend and reconcile that relationship, but it's still so weird and I don't know how they're going to respond. We held on to some of our resources because we were scared of the future that there wouldn't be enough. We never got involved in ministry because we were always waiting for a slower season of life. And James is pointing out that life is so much shorter than we think. And when we fail to do the right thing, it's just as damaging as doing the wrong thing. Let's read our verse again. Psalm 90, verse 12. Everybody out loud. Here we go. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. First thing, life is shorter than we think. And then the second thing is that only a few things really matter. In this life, I promise you, that list is very, very short. Only a few things really matter. If you ever attended a, a funeral or a memorial service for someone that you knew that passed away, if you're anything like me, uh, you sat there for the first few minutes and you were remembering and, and honoring their legacy and, and really present. And then eventually your mind probably started to drift, much like mine does every single time. And I start considering my own funeral, like my own memorial service. And I just started asking like, well, who's gonna show up? And what are they gonna say? And will my kids be there? And will they be laughing or will they be crying or will they be doing both? Dr. Lydia Dugdale is a medical physician and a medical ethicist at Columbia University. And she wrote a book called The Lost Art of Dying. Because of her profession, she's spent many end of life moments with her patients. <clears throat> and she collected her wisdom in this book. And she said, if you, want to, if you wanna know how this ends well, and from all of her experience, if you want to know how to die well, there's two things you really need to do. Number one, acknowledge our finitude. Acknowledge that we're not going to live forever. We've been doing that all morning long, 78.79 years. And then the second thing she said is that if you want to die well, if you want this to end well, then you need to build community. Okay? Build community. Like if you want to die well, build community now. Dr. Dugdale said that we live and die best in community. She encourages you to imagine your deathbed, like your last moments here on earth. And who do you want to be around? Who do you want to be there? 
Who's gonna, who's gonna pray with you? And who's gonna encourage you? Who's gonna help calm you down? Who's gonna point you to Jesus in your last moments? And whoever is around you in that daydream, in that dream of yours, then you need to build those relationships now. Because the reality is, is that no one makes friends on their deathbed. Build community now. Uh, this picture is a picture of my friend Chad on his wedding day. That's him there with the red, red tie. And that's his beautiful wife, Maeda. She's from Brazil. She's the sweetest gal you'd ever want to know. And, uh, and one of the cool parts about being a pastor is that sometimes your friends ask you to do things for them. And so I got to officiate their wedding on that day. And it was just like the biggest honor. I'll, I'll never forget that day. Uh, Chad and I, we met as kids in elementary school and we grew up together. And in high school, Chad was, he was my friend with a lot of DJ equipment. Did you ever have a DJ friend? All right? He was always like playing music in sweaty basements for high school students. And, and then he ended, up, uh, he ended up being my friend with the coolest job. He was a Disney Imagineer. Right, built roller coasters for a living. He built the Millennium Falcon at Disney World in Florida. He built the Iron Man ride in Hong Kong. I always bragged that he was my friend with the coolest job. And then one day I got a call from Chad and he said that the night before he had gone into the emergency room with some stomach pain. And he thought maybe it was like appendicitis or something. And, and he came home with the diagnosis that he had stage four colon cancer. We were 33. And I, I don't know if you know what to say to your friends when they call with news like that, but I didn't know what to say. And I mumbled and I stumbled and we, we cried together and I prayed for him and then we hung up. And then that next week, uh, some friends of ours that we had gone to high school with, we just jumped on this weekly prayer call. And every week we would hear Chad's prognosis and the treatment plan and and then we would pray and we prayed like hard and consistently and specifically we prayed for full healing. We prayed for peace. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed. Uh, this chair here, it doesn't mean anything to you, but it means the world to me. Uh, it's on the campus of Santa Barbara City College. And, and when Chad was in treatment, we were leading a church in Santa Barbara and he, he came to visit and he went to church with us that morning and then we had lunch and we started talking about the small things. And then eventually it was just me and him and we started talking about the big things. And he told me that he was scared. And I told him I was scared too. And then sitting in that chair, he, he said, well, what would you do if you were me? Like, what would you do with, with your life? And I don't know if you've ever had someone battling cancer ask you what to do with their life, but I didn't know what to say. I stumbled and I mumbled and, and then eventually I just said, man, I guess I would just make sure that whoever I love knows it. Like tell your brother and tell your parents, and tell your wife and just like, don't leave anything on the table. Like you, you want to say it. And he, and he pivoted in that chair and he said, man, that's a really good idea. I'm, I'm going to start with you. And I said, please do not. Okay. I, uh, I am not emotionally mature enough for what you're about to tell me. And like any good friend, he didn't listen to me. And he told me that he loved me. And that he was proud of me. And I don't know if you've ever had someone dying of cancer tell you 
which you mean to them, but that's not something I'll ever forget. Uh, Chad passed away about a year and a half ago. And I don't know why God didn't heal him. And I wish I had a really good answer for you. And I, I just don't. And my guess is, is that somewhere in your life, you have a story like that to where you like prayed and you prayed hard and you prayed right. And you did all the things that you thought you were supposed to do. And then God healed someone down the street and he didn't heal the person that you love. And that's really, really hard. And in those moments, you and I have a choice to make. Either we can look at God and accuse him of changing and not being who he said he was. Or we can trust that he is the same faithful God that he was yesterday, he is today, and he will be tomorrow. See, friends, I think sometimes because of our limited vocabulary, we struggle to describe these experiences because sometimes you'll hear people saying that someone lost their battle to cancer. You ever heard someone say that? I'm just here to tell you, my friend did not lose. He didn't. Because every single week, a group of people that hadn't talked in more than a decade gathered on a phone call to pray, and that's not losing. And every single week, we were exclusively focused on the well-being of someone else, and that's good for your soul. And every single week, his battle reminded us of the fragility and the brevity of this life, and I needed that perspective. My friend did not lose. Friends, life is shorter than we think. And only a few things really matter. So will you read this verse with me one more time? Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Friends, as we wrap up today, I, I want to present to you three questions. And I'm not actually asking you to process all three. That would be a lot. I just want you to choose the one. Choose the one question that resonates the most with you, the one, that, the one that God is clearly stirring something inside of you, and I want you to chew on that question and do something about it this week, okay? Uh, the first question I have for you is because life is short and only a few things really matter, what do you need to say? What do you need to say? Here's my guess. is because you're human and I'm human. Is that there's some relationship in your life that's just not clicking like it used to be good. It's not what you dreamt it would be. And, and there's something that you've held inside and you've wanted to say and you just haven't yet. Like maybe you just need to say, I'm sorry. Because you're imperfect and because they're imperfect, you're gonna let people down and, and your sin gets on them and their sin gets on you. And it, I, I know it's awkward. And I know it can be embarrassing and you are not in control of how they respond to your apology, but the liberation that comes from taking ownership and expressing an apology, I promise you'll never regret it. Maybe today, like before you leave this lobby, you need to look at someone that you love and trust and say, I need help. You've had this thing that you've been calling your, like, your battle, and your struggle and your challenge and friends, it's an addiction. And every single day you wake up thinking today's the day that I kick it. This month has gone pretty well. And eventually we end up in the same place over and over and over again. And you need to find the help and the love that you need by just saying, I need help, I need help. I can't do this on my own. And because I know this place, I know you will receive with love and grace and compassion.
Maybe you just need to say these three powerful words. I love you. Because here's what I know about you. We haven't met. I know this about you. There's someone in your life that you love and they're not sure that that's true. And for absolutely zero dollars, you can remove that ambiguity by just saying it out loud. Saying, I love you. Love you. Can I get the attention of the dads in the room real quick? All the fathers. The power of those three words from a father to a child are life changing. Hey, I don't, I don't know what your dad was like and I don't know, maybe affection wasn't freely offered in, in your house growing up. I'm just saying you can change that now. There should be zero ambiguity from your children about how you feel about them. And all you gotta do is look them in the eyes and say, I love you. I just want to be really clear. This is not to negate the importance of a mother's love. Moms are just better at it than us. And when a father looks in the eyes of a child, he says, I love you. And you watch that posture straighten. And those shoulders get thrown back. And the heart that is full to take on the world and all it cost us was three simple words. I love you. Life is so much shorter than we think. Only a few things really matter. What do you need to say? Here's my second question for you. Uh, what do you need to stop? What do you need to stop? I know it's like, it's kind of funny to talk about our wastes of time, but that's real. And maybe more so than ever before in human history, there are these little black rectangles that fit in the palm of our hand that become a vortex for our attention. And it's just so easy to escape and not engage. And I get that, I know. Like, do you know what Netflix has ever asked of me? $15 a month. That's it. They've never asked me to change. They've never asked me to apologize. I've never had to mature in my character. All they need is their $15 a month and I can watch as much TV as I want. You know who does ask me for stuff? People. The people in my life need things for me. And I'm honestly, I'm not all that good at it sometimes. And so it's just so much easier to scroll and to escape. I just wonder if today's the day that we all just put down the device and look at the people in our lives and finally engage in this one life we have to live. What do you need to stop? Here's my final question. It's just, what do you need to start? What do you need to say? What do you need to stop? What do you need to start? Uh, We have already, already acknowledged just how, how short this life is. And I'm just gonna put all my cards on the table. I am a pastor. I love the church. I've dedicated my entire life to it. All right, I'm biased. I get it. I cannot think of a single place that is worth, more worth your time and more worth your investment and more worth your contribution than the church of Jesus Christ, okay? I've seen the organizations and I've seen the clubs and I've seen the travel sports and I've seen the vacations. I get it. I understand it. This is eternal stuff that we're talking about. And does the church have her warts and her scars? Yeah, absolutely. It's not perfect because you're here. It's not perfect because I'm here. But I'm telling you, I've seen marriages healed that otherwise would have ended. And I've seen families reconciled and have hope. I've seen people that were in the pits of addiction truly find freedom. I've seen people find purpose when they had been told their entire life that they had none. 
I'm telling you, the church of Jesus Christ is the only place I want to give my life. And I hope you will jump in. And if you're here today and you are not yet in the game, let this be your wake-up call. That this is the place that God is the one to serve. That Jesus is the one that changes things. And it's this, his spirit that we get to celebrate when life change happens. I can't imagine a better place to be. What do you need to start today? Friends, life is shorter than we think. Only a few things really matter. And I hope that the words of James 4 are a, are a wake-up call. If you've been sleepwalking through this life, like I have been tempted to many times before, let this be our wake-up call to get in the game, to stop escaping, to engage the one life that God has given us. So right now, I wanna, I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray that you will have the courage to grab hold of one of those questions to chew on it this week and actually do something about it because we need the courage, not the clarity. We need the courage to take the next right step. So will you stand with me as I pray for you today? Father, we are grateful. We're grateful for the one life that you've given us as an incredible gift. We're actually also grateful for the brevity because it wakes us up to what matters most. And if there's some of us that have been dragging our feet and we've been delaying and we've been putting it off. I pray that you will give us the courage to take the step to like send the text before we leave the parking lot. To get in the game and stop waiting until things slow down. To genuinely see the next right step that you have been put in front of us and have the courage to take it. God, we are grateful for what you have given us. Let us live this one life to the utmost and have the purpose that you have only you could provide. It's all this in your perfect son's name, I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for weekly recordings of Sunday service and follow us on Spotify and Apple Music for weekly audio recordings and podcasts.